Hey, and welcome to Deconversion Therapy, the solo edition or the true crime edition. That's what we're doing well. Bonnie is taking a little bit of a vacation, and then we're going to get back to the satanic panic. Before I get into this one, I'm just going to say thank you to the listener who sent this one in. I knew about the case, but I didn't know about the case. So digging in was really disturbing. You can go and discuss this case and the other ones that I've done the last few weeks over at our Facebook group. Just look for the group, Deconversion Therapy, and then you can find us on all the social media like you do. And for first-time listeners, or at least ones who hadn't listened to true crime before, this is a limited series. Yeah, doesn't that make it sound more important than the other co-host is away and I am trying to find something to talk about? But this does combine two of my interests, which is true crime and then how it relates in cases that involve the church or Christianity mostly, I will let someone else tackle ones on Islam or other religions, including Mormonism. But hopefully you and I can put a little bit of insight into this because we know this culture very well. And for those who didn't grow up evangelical, you're going to learn a little bit. Today, you're going to hear about Christopher Coleman or Chris Coleman who, in many people's opinion, should have gotten just as much publicity about the story as Chris Watts did. I guess some of you remember Chris Watts. He's called a, quote, family annihilator. It's when one person in the family does away with the rest of the family. And his court case and everything he did was all over the news. And yes, He is a Christian now, so heaven just looks better day by day. Let's visit this other Christian, Chris Coleman. So Chris was born in 1977, and his parents, Ron and Connie, are also pastors together, which already tells you a lot about their faith, because a lot of traditional Churches like Southern Baptists do not let women talk in the pulpit. So once it said that the mother was also a pastor, I knew we're dealing with some kind of non-denominational charismatic church, and we are. The family had three boys, including Chris, and they grew up in the church, and they even spoke in tongues. In 1997, Chris met and married Sherry. They met during a canine training seminar at Lachlan Air Force Base in San Antonio. I think she was on the police security uh, for the base at that time, and she wasn't particularly religious or Christian, but it seems like after they were married, she did make an effort because, of course, she understood the family she was moving into. And they had two sons. In 2009, when this takes place, their sons were 11 and 9, and they were Garrett and Gavin. I make a conscious effort not to discuss the victims too much, because I don't think their lives should be defined by the worst day, and there are plenty of other lovely people who go into who they were as people and their lives. In 2009, 
Chris was the head of security and a bodyguard for one Ms. Joyce Meyer. And if you haven't heard of Joyce Meyer, just Google her. You'll see her face and you'll be like, aha, yeah, that lady. Joyce is up there as the top female celebrity preacher, I guess. Not that she has celebrities going to her church, but as far as her being known to the public, I think her face is the biggest one that we have alive right now, and then Beth Moore. She is also non-denominational, charismatic, and she has a huge following. She was even looked into by our government when they were trying to figure out if she was doing some shady deals because she leans a little towards that you-can-do-anything-and-God-wants-you-to-prosper type situation. For being head of security, Chris was getting paid 100000 a year. On May 5th of 2009, Chris woke up early to head to the gym, and he knew that his wife had fallen asleep next to him on the couch. They had been watching TV or something, and he went to call her while he was working out to remind her, wake up the t- kids, get them ready for school, and his calls went to voicemail. They weren't answered. He tried a few more times. He sent a few texts. And then at that time, he got nervous. So he called his neighbor, who happened to be a cop, and said, can you just go check on her? Do a welfare check or whatever you need to write down officially so that you can go inside. Why did he jump to possibly something being wrong right away? because he had been receiving threatening emails since mid-November of the previous year in 2008. In fact, Joyce Meyer and her son received one of them, although Chris seemed to be the target of this. Now, Joyce Meyer does get threatened. Um, I'm sure anyone in a celebrity status does. And there's a couple of things. There's mainly people who are like, you're a woman, shut up, sit down, that kind of thing. But these seem to be more like you're robbing people of their money, um, you're talking about bullshit, you need to stop this, and something's going to happen. So his neighbor policeman had actually had a camera pointed at his house at the request of Chris because not only had he been receiving emails that were very threatening, but then he would find hand-delivered mail with these threatening messages, and it scared him to death, and he told his neighbor, and his neighbor's like, let me put up a camera. So he went into his three-year-old's room and set up a camera facing the Coleman's house. I'm going to read one of the letters to you. This was an email, and the subject line said, Chris's family, they are dead, three exclamation marks. Here it goes. I'm sure this will make it to someone in the company. If you jackasses are like any other company, this will be someone's account. Pass this on to Chris. Another three exclamation marks. Tell Joyce to stop preaching the bullshit or Chris's family will die. If I can't get to Joyce, then I will get to someone close to her. And if I can't get to him, then I will kill his wife and kids. I know Joyce's schedule, so then I know Chris's schedule. If Joyce doesn't quit preaching the bullshit, then they will die. 
During the Houston conference, I will kill them all as they sleep. If I don't hit there, then I will kill them during the book tour or the trip to India. I know where he lives, and I know they're alone. Tell that motherfucker next time to let me talk to Joyce. She needs to hear what I have to say, and now she will. The letters started getting more violent, more threatening, and of course, Joyce Meyer was aware of it, and so was everyone at the company, although Chris was the only person in security that was receiving these. He was the only other person besides Joyce who was receiving these at all. Since Chris is the person who stands between Joyce and the people who want books signed or want to meet her, it somewhat makes sense that someone got annoyed at Chris. Then the emails started arriving from a Gmail called Destroy Chris. So back to the scene, the neighbor who is a cop is called and told to go across the street Check on my wife, please. And so the cop does, and he calls another cop before entering. Of course, what they see is disgusting and terrible. All three of the family members were deceased. They were covered in blankets, but there was red spray paint all over the walls, including on top of some of the children. There was profanity. A lot of them said, your debt is paid. I was watching. By the time Chris arrived on the scene, he just put his heads in his hands, and later they escorted him and put him in an ambulance as they told him the rest of the story. Well, by this time, of course, the police were also very suspicious. One of the first things that made police sort of prick up their ears was that he didn't try and rush past them into the house to see his family, which to them is a pretty much an often occurrence, and they had actually planned, like, this guy's going to come back and he's going to try and bust through us, so let's all be prepared. He didn't do that, and he didn't ask what happened to them. Now, remember the camera? that the neighbor, who was also a policeman, had. They looked at that, and not only after he put up that camera did he never see anyone come and deliver any kind of message to Chris's mailbox and his wife's mailbox, but they didn't see anyone enter the house or drive by any time after Chris had left for the gym because The whole story was that Chris said it must have happened, obviously, after he left, because the last thing he remembered, his wife was beside him, and then he went to the gym. I can't imagine when the Joyce Meyer Ministries found this out, what they were doing. They must have been, you know, freaking out, because they knew of the letters, they knew of the threats, and now they're getting messages that his family were annihilated. The terrible details of it was that all three of the members of the Coleman family were manually strangled, which takes a lot of time and is very personal. And they could tell that the wife, Sherry, had fought back and had done a lot to try and protect herself. 
They put Chris in an ambulance for him to just sit there out of the way of people looking. And that's when he started punching at the gurney and throwing his hands around, saying that he was really angry and mad and how could this happen. When in the questioning room, Chris said he was cold and asked the officers for a blanket or a towel, and that's when he covered his arms, but not his legs, and he was wearing shorts. Officers noticed that Chris had a lot of scratches on his arms, and when they asked him, he said, oh, that was probably from the ambulance when I was upset. But the cops were a lot smarter than he was. During the questioning, they asked, what do you think this could be? Of course, Chris said, well, I got all these letters, etc." So they did call Joyce Meyer and had her come down, and she was questioned about anything that she knew. One thing that began to come out was that he and Sherry were having problems In some text messages, she had told a friend Chris wants a divorce, but she really wanted to work on it. And in fact, they approached Joyce Meyer to tell them, you know, we're having difficulties. And Joyce referred them to someone who could do counseling with them. So the wife, Sherry, did not want to get a divorce. While looking at text messages and Chris's hard drive, they also asked about someone named Tara. So Tara was Sherry's best friend in high school. And they had gotten introduced when Sherry and her husband went down to Florida for a vacation, and that's where Tara lives. And the wife innocently introduced them, having no idea what was going to happen after that. But what they found was that Tara and Chris had been in a pretty hot and heavy relationship, affair, for a couple of months. They found where she had been brought over to one of Joyce Meyer's, you know, conferences and stayed in the hotel with him. There were lots of videos and pictures of the nudity kind. They asked Chris about it, and he said, no, it was probably inappropriate that we were talking, but nothing was going on. Well, then they asked Tara, And of course, Tara was a little more like, you know, we're in love. And she showed a promise ring that Chris had gotten her that once they were divorced, he was going to marry her. Now, a little bit about Chris. Chris, during this time, starts getting a little edgier. He'd always seemed to have different ego issues. He actually had a full head of hair, but he decided to shave it bald because it said, because he said it made him look more threatening when he was being a bodyguard. He also would drink and cuss, you know, the cool guy. But one thing he did not want to do was divorce his wife because he was making a lot of money for Joyce Meyer, and one thing he knew would get him fired was a divorce. Now, when they brought Joyce Meyer in and they said, do you think this is something that played into any of this? Would you fire someone on your team, your close-knit, you know, inner crew, 
who got a divorce? And she said, absolutely not. We have plenty of employees who have been divorced. However, if we know the divorce was instigated by the person working for us and they were, you know, engaging in immoral acts, then yes, the person probably would get fired. So Chris had a plan to try and annoy and ignore his wife so much, Sherry, that she would be the one to file for divorce. Because if she did that, he was home free. He could just wait a little while, say he met Tara, bada-bing. And let me just break because this is very common in any of these true crime stories. You know, there is divorce and there is murder. Divorce may be annoying, but please, by all things Zeus, pick the divorce. Now, Chris keeps denying and keeps denying. And they say, well, guess what? You know those emails that you got from Destroy Chris at Yahoo or whatever it was? We trace that back to your IP address. And remember that red spray paint? We asked you if you'd bought any. You said, no, absolutely not. Well, we found out that you did buy some. And it matches exactly that red spray paint. And I'm just going to say right now, this is not a very good security guard. Chris said he must have been hacked, that this person was really after him, and they must have hacked his computer. Although, of course, they did enough research to find out that his computer was shut down during the time that it would have been, quote, hacked. And his father, remember his father was also a pastor, said, yeah, I remember him buying that red spray paint. He bought it to make the boys and I little targets for us to shoot guns, which that's thrilling. But the main thing is, Chris was saying, this must have happened after I left. There is no way that the bodies would have been in the rigor mortis condition that they were so quickly if they hadn't already passed away hours and hours before before Chris left for the gym. I cannot imagine what it takes to do this to your own family. There are plenty of cases of this. There are also cases of women doing this to their own children when they get into affairs or in relationships where they don't think the position they're in will be acceptable, whether it's they're married, whether they have children and they want to just, you know, be single and not have any of those worries, that they think this is the way to do it. And it's such a personal, terrible, violent way to do it. Not to mention that Chris desecrated the bodies of his own children with the spray paint. Well, at least his parents are honest pastors, right? <laughs> oh, no. In fact, I don't know why I am more disgusted in them nearly than in Chris. I know that doesn't make sense, but let me tell you about these people. So during this time, they were doing interviews. They were being questioned by news groups or by the police themselves. And this is what the dad said. Now, this pastor, Ron Coleman is still a pastor. 
He tries to explain away everything. He says, there's no way my son could have done this. And he says, quote, Tara, remember the girl that was not the wife, Tara was just meeting a need at the time that Sherry wasn't taking care of. Fucking purity culture, fucking misogyny, disgusting. He went on to say, well, I mean, every man has his desires and every man has to be respected. It's built into every man. If your wife doesn't respect you, then you're going to find respect someplace else. Respect. That's what, that's what being in a hotel room on a Joyce Meyer conference trip with your wife's best friend from high school naked and taking photos and all. That's respect. Ron was actually asked, well, so you're saying you think Sherry was a bad wife? And he said, quote, just that at that short brief time, she stepped back from doing her job as a wife. All right. I hope you said fuck you when you heard that. I did. Well, I'm going to now. Fuck you, Ron. Now, Chris was arrested and he was convicted two years to the day that his wife and children were murdered by him, though he still proclaims his innocence. And of course, his parents do too. There's a Facebook group that's called Chris Coleman is Innocent, and they try everything they can to try and refute these facts that are night and day. Now, the mother, is she sweet Connie Coleman? Mm-mm. When asked in an interview, what did you think of Sherry, the wife, when you first met her, she said she was nothing special, just a blonde girl. In fact, there was obviously something that they were harboring against Sherry because, one, she wasn't in that Christian non-denominational society, and two, she was pregnant before they got officially married. So can't be their sweet boy's anything. It obviously has to be that wicked Jezebel Sherry. Connie died in 2020, and in her official obituary, it says she was preceded in death by her father. That's it. Didn't even mention the grandchildren or the in-law. Now, that was included in some other ones, but not in that official one. So I, of course, went to look at the guest book and here's some of the things that people wrote. You won't be missed from this world, but what gives us peace is that God punishes the wicked. You and your husband hid behind your religion and used it as a justification for the abuse of beautiful Sherry. She was a better person than you and your husband could ever be. You raised a monster, and God will not forget that. Rest in hell. I, I get it. I would be feeling the ire myself. Someone else wrote, may the hell you created in life haunt you in death. Unlike Sherry and the kids finding peace, I hope the peace you preached in life is always barely out of your reach for all eternity. People even go in there and talk about, I bet your husband was a cheater too because of the things he had said. People call them vile, but the thing is, they kept on with their ministry. They kept on with their church, preaching and getting more new people to come to their church. Also, 
when Sherry and the boys were buried, Sherry's family wanted her body and the kids' bodies and remains to be brought to their hometown and buried there. And they actually had to file to get that done because Pastors Ron and Connie didn't want them to. That's to how in the that would be, I would dig them up myself with my hands. I did read or hear somewhere that Chris is also doing some ministry while he's in prison, still saying he was innocent, despite that at his family's wake, he texted Tara, his girlfriend, thinking of you and I miss you. And despite that Tara on the stand wore her promise ring that he had given her. Sherry's family did file a wrongful suit toward Joyce Meyer Ministry because they said they were aware of the problems, they were aware of the emails, and they did nothing. It was dropped, then picked back up, and finally dropped against them, although I think there is still maybe a suit ongoing with Chris himself. And just finishing up, the church that Ron Coleman still preaches at is Grace Church Ministries in Chester, Illinois. Their motto is, a light place in a dark world. However, those of us who have that insight know a few things. You can be forgiven of anything. God gives you discernment, and you will know if your son is actually a murderer. Oh, he didn't? He thinks what you want to believe? That's just a coincidence. And sorry there's no laughs in this one, but man, I... mm, Don't be a shit pile. Just divorce if you need a divorce, okay? See you next week.